0: Lake Superior State University in Michigan recently published the banished words list. These are ones that they say are just used way too much, particularly in the business world. Okay, Have you ever said these before? For example, number two on the list, no worries. I've used it in emails or text messages.
1: At the end of the
0: day is another term.
1: So not like, hey, I need this by the end of the day, but like at the end of the day, we're all just marketers. Yeah. Uh, here's another term. Circle back or the new normal. Don't we? have That's a
0: podcast, isn't it? On our network. <laughs> we're banished from their list. But my favorite is number nine on this list, which is the term you're on mute. Very
1: nice. Very nice. Well, I'll tell you what, let's put a pin in it and we can circle back to this later in the show. Yeah. At the end of the day, no worries.
2: Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts.
1: Welcome to episode number 257 of Touchpoint, the first of 2022 i am reed smith that is chris boyer
0: hey reed and we're recording this on my birthday actually so there you go
1: yeah happy birthday thank you happy birthday well uh i did see the meme about uh, everybody realizing that 2022 is pronounced 2022 you know so far the the year it's early but it's off to a good start yeah we'll circle back to that in march <laughs> Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us again. We're getting close to our anniversary, which is in February, the 1st of February Mm -hmm. there. We'll be uh, kicking off year six of the show, which is kind of hard to believe. Wow! But certainly appreciate everybody's support. And uh, willingness to listen, got a nice note from one of our loyal listeners there at the end of the year that he had binged listen to about nine hours of Touchpoint over the holidays. I'm glad people find value and certainly uh, as you all still listen, we will still record Mm -hmm. and uh, certainly appreciate that. Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health over there. You can find out certainly more about this episode or the show you're listening to or other shows on our network other show hosts, topics, et cetera. While you're there, you can sign up for the TPS report. You'll notice it up in the top navigation of the website. All that does, uh, you pass over the fence your email address, and we will send you one email a week. That's it. Send you an email each Monday morning, kick off the week with a few articles that uh, might be of interest. So we will uh, take a pause here, and you can go do that or make a note of it, and then we'll be back with today's show.
0: And build a reputation that performs for you. It's fitting, read for us to kick off the new year with a uh, podcast that's going to look forward, right, and kind of try to think about ways that we can make twenty twenty two not twenty twenty part two. But really a new transformative year for our organizations, because we've been struggling as we enter into this new calendar year, we're struggling across our industry. And so to that end, today, we're going to kind of focus in on some big ideas and also talk a little bit about some ways that organizations can start to focus their efforts on things looking forward. Let's actually kind of level set against some things that are working really well. We recently found an article from Becker's Hospital Review that shares 10 big ideas in healthcare marketing for the last year. And it quotes healthcare marketing leaders across the the country around some of the big ideas that they actually focused in on this year and found some meaningful success.
1: Let's run through these. You want to start us off and we'll just uh, we'll kind of rattle through the list here.
0: We won't hit all of them, right? We'll hit a few of them, though. So the first one came from Kevin Mabbitt, who's the senior vice president and chief consumer officer at Intermountain Healthcare. It's in Salt Lake City. He starts off by saying that healthcare is just like every other industry and has the same kind of consumers. And he really doubled down on this concept of that our industry needs to start connecting the dots between digital and non-digital parts of the healthcare journey to create the seamless and what he calls the consistent experience from end to
1: end. From end to end. Yeah, I was having some conversations earlier today actually with some of my team about patient experience, consumer experience, that kind of thing. And you were talking about when I kind of got into all of this, that was very much just what happened inside a brick-and-mortar location. And now you can probably argue that more of the experience happens outside. It's before you get there. It's after you've been there, you know, that that kind of thing. And certainly, when you think about the healthcare journey, the goal would be to create a seamless, you know, consistent experience. Another one here on the list, uh, Tanya uh, Andridis. At the time, I believe she was still the chief marketing officer out at UCLA Health. She's recently, or since this article came out, moved over to Penn Medicine. But she talked about the the authenticity of of your brand and knowing your customers, your consumers. And it's interesting because she talked about the CEO of their organization, again, UCLA, reading reports daily about you know what's coming from uh, from social media and other channels, what that patient feedback looks like, and she says that brand isn't about what uh, you want to be or what you think looks really cool. It's about respecting your consumers and staff, and acting with integrity and providing high quality experiences at every touch point.
0: I like that because branding isn't about what you know you feel is your brand is about. It's really about how your customers and your internal stakeholders align to your overall brand positioning. And many times they can actually create their own view of your brand and even set your own brand in the market that you're in. So I like that approach, right, about really understanding their values and understanding your stakeholders' values so that you can create a brand platform that has integrity and is exactly right. And related to that is a point that Jennifer Gilkey who's VP of communications and marketing at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health, she indicated that they let collaboration drive their goals rather than starting from a desired outcome and working backwards. That's an interesting point because we always talk about this, Reed, you and I, that when you set a strategy, you define what you want to accomplish and then you make goals to get there. Mm-hmm. In this environment, it's a little bit different. Collaborating with peers and others helps to drive the goals.
1: No, absolutely. And actually, I'll kind of piggyback onto that one with another one here on the list because I think they kind of go hand in hand or, or very similar. But Lisa Schiller, she's the chief communication marketing officer at UNC Health over in uh, North Carolina in, in Chapel Hill. But she talks about the collaboration between marketing and other parts of the organization and that that is really the key to successful growth marketing and brand marketing. She looks at that relationship with other, you know, folks in the organization. We've talked about the blurring of the lines, right? It's really hard to determine where things start and stop anymore. And so she talks about that relationship with strategic planning, physician leadership, you know, the operational leadership. You know, we, you and I, Chris, have talked about quality and IT and all these other parts, legal even, all these other parts of the organization that Become critical to you know how we we drive you know, our initiatives forward,
0: and it almost sounds like you know if you have that if you you look at the patient experience as one of the desired goals that you're trying to accomplish, is to improve that patient experience, having all relevant stakeholders or people that can represent relative stakeholders in these conversations, that's really an interesting approach to solving those problems. Don't get me wrong, I think we still should build strategies with goals in mind, but there is a lot to be said about getting other perspectives as you're trying to problem solve. A few more here, Reed, I think, before we turn to the uh, the second part of our conversation. One of the things that uh, Suzanne Hendry, who's a friend of the show, right, chief marketing and customer officer at Renown Health, she's been on before, she says that one of the mottos that guides the strategic direction for what she's doing with her team is to create raving fans.
1: There we go. That, you know,
0: I, I think it's desirable, but what that really means is creating new programs, new services, new solutions that are designed around what those fans want, so to speak. Mm. And then moreover, she doubles down on this concept of measuring that fandom, so to speak. And how her team does it is by engagement scores from employees and physicians, net promoter scores, reputation scores from the community, active patients members of the insurance plan that they have hmm. and even pulling my chart active users to determine if these different experience solutions that they're doing is actually meeting their needs and subsequently converting them to become rating, raving fans,
1: raving fans. That makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, this I, I, a lot like the affinity programs we had back in the day, you know, silver mm-hmm. sneakers or, you know, the mall Walker program or something or some 55 plus, or you try to sign up folks that were expecting a baby. Maybe, you know, you get them into some, you, you send them the brochure each month that talks about, you know, their third month of pregnancy and that the baby's the size of an avocado, and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I think there is something to be said, certainly for that affinity piece you know and how do you create that connection and that stickiness and i think what she's talking about is smart you know because i mean she mentioned you you, know, you talked about the measurement side of this i think that's you know really how you understand really how sticky some of these activities become
0: so one last quote from sarah saldoff director of digital marketing and customer experience at ohio health in columbus she kind of looks focuses in a little bit on the digital elements of this and says Mm -hmm. that they take a holistic approach to understanding how all of the owned and paid channels work together with one another to support that overall experience. This is really the the whole concept of human centered design, right? That we talk about really understanding and trying to use all of those things that we can actually measure to get a better sense of what overall is is uh, helping and supporting that experience and what's not working and gives them a very pragmatic way to kind of assess the situation.
1: Looking at this, you know, outside of just the website is important. And I think we've got to continue to kind of think through the fact that we're not the end destination, not necessarily the beginning. Uh, you know, we, we may play a part in the uh, choice, you know, helping inform folks, but it's not necessarily you know, where people start and stop, you know, so looking at all these paid channels and things that we rent and own and all that kind of stuff, I think is is important to make sure that yes, that we, we are all rowing in the same direction. So these are some really big
0: ideas that health systems across the country are doing read in order to support and transform their marketing strategies. When we come back from the break, read. let's level set a little bit about where we're at, and then we'll share some pragmatic ways that we, we see that health systems can start to embrace patient experience strategies to transform. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media subscribe now on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform this podcast series is brought to you by net, bowstring and touchpoint media
1: all right chris before the break of course we talked about uh, these big ideas great becker's article uh, from a lot of names people probably recognize from around the industry of Things they're thinking about and focusing on, and so, I think now let's let's shift a little bit and and look at you know what we have going on. All
0: these great ideas that we just talked about—they'll work, but only if you have these systems in place. And, and there's no offense to any of us, right? But I, I don't think we're all in the same
1: place. We're in an industry right now that's going through a lot of crises. Uh, the math keeps going up. So the last what twenty months? Mu- twenty months? Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about this for a while, you know, certainly in the beginning we thought, well, it was going to be a few months and then six months and the rest of that year. Well, here we are 20 months later and, you know, we're just going to have another variant after the current variant. I mean, that's just how this works, I guess. And so, so we're going to have that. Now out of that has created a lot of other kind of problematic uh, pieces for us with burnout and shortage of staff, not just the clinical burnout, but also just our, you know, our marketing staff even, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And let's also
0: say, to be fair, right, we, we might be struggling with limited budgets, or overall, like health system financial shortcomings, it's been a tough couple of years for the health industry and not a lot of health systems are, are thriving that well, right? We're, we're struggling with all this. And then let's, let's kind of also focus a little bit to read on our consumers on these patients and, and potential patients in our communities. You and I have been talking a lot about, you know, how those consumer behaviors are changing, how they're wanting to do things. They're moving a lot faster than many businesses themselves can pivot, let alone health systems. And their loyalty is wavering a little bit.
1: Again, you know, we've talked about the preference versus loyalty piece, and and some of that. So we won't won't belabor all that. But yeah, so I mean, you know, we've got a, a crisis that we don't know if and when it'll really ever go back to the way it was. Maybe it never does. Burnout, the budgets, behaviors are changing all because of some of these things that we've mentioned. We found an interesting article from actiumhealth.com. Again, we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. And I think this will kind of help us think through. uh, So now what? Right. And uh, it's titled five healthcare patient experience predictions for 2022.
0: Yeah. And, patient experience we know you and i have been talking about this for nearly 6 years now reed this is where marketing is evolving to it's becoming the owners of the patient experience and when i say that in health systems i know people think about that in different ways but moreover it's not only about patient experience because that's such a big onerous challenge for everyone they talk a lot about focusing your efforts, and so let's get into some of these uh, healthcare predictions, so to speak, patient experience predictions, and and talk through them. And in fact, one of these predictions is actually done by the person that we're going to be interviewing later on in the show, and we'll get to that after we cover four of the five.
1: Well, they start out the article by talking about the rise of proactive communications. Uh, and, and, Mike, uh, Leiner, was his Actium health CEO said, uh, when it comes to patient engagement and communications, health systems are really being driven by three factors. So revenue recovery. So they've got to figure out ways to, to actually do that competition. Like we, like you mentioned before, uh, so the you know, loyalty is waning, if you will, and the value-based care. So providers need to identify ways to keep patients healthy versus just, you know, doing sick care. If
0: you think about those three things, revenue, recovery, competition, and value-based care, putting them all together, it's a huge, lofty, big thing. But if you break them apart in those three discrete strategies, so to speak, or focus areas, you can develop maybe some very specific tactics and and plans to address each one of those, right? Right.
1: Yeah, and that's where really uh, you know, the rise of proactive communications come from. You know, you're going to need to like go find people and talk to them to really uh, try to alleviate any of those three.
0: And then you can also, as we talked about before, when you do collaborating with other team members – Um, In your organization, you might learn things that you yourself don't know in the marketing suite that can best inform that strategy. Collaboration, working together. Obviously, we got the competition that's kind of hurting us a little bit in the marketplace. But if we can leverage and and focus in on some of those things that work better for us, we can move some significant mountains, so to speak. And now that kind of leads into part two or the second prediction. Improved connection between health systems and patients. So this comes from uh, Craig Karchner, who's AVP of Marketing and Customer Experience at Honor Health, who predicts that we're going to see shifts to satisfy consumers' greatest pain points. So let's talk about those greatest pain points of customers as identified by Craig. First, access to care. I would say access to care is probably the biggest pain point from what I know in my experience. It's something that, you know, not only as a consumer of healthcare, but as a professional in this space, it becomes probably the most critical thing we can do, right? So you need to offer customers more and more ways to get care, choosing modalities, virtual health versus in-person, time, place, et cetera. And honestly, kind of shifting the control from us—we we'll give you an online appointment schedule. If we only have availability, to mm-hmm. let the customer decide what they want better, and then communications with care teams, where health systems can organize around that—that that the ability to connect and integrate that—I see a lot of progress in that in the patient portals now. Um, you know that's becoming a really great place where you can connect with your overall care team, and then lastly, navigation. This is probably another big pain point that is maybe latent within your organization right now is people don't have clear or convenient ways to follow their treatment plans. Craig mentions a very specific thing here. He says, when a patient leaves leaves a primary care appointment, make it seamless for them to take the next steps in their care, to get their labs drawn, to schedule appointments with specialists, et cetera. Focus on that discrete touch point in the customer journey, and that can... Just overall, get you to a win state.
1: It's an interesting one, right? The communications with care teams. It is going to be interesting to see that flourish as not really a channel that we've historically spent much time in. But we should. We're marketers. Mm-hmm. We should know this, right. right? So the the next one, Chris, in the in the list is the evolving role. They say the evolving role of the chief marketing officer. It talks about uh, the fact that over the past several years, many health systems have uh, recognized the important role marketing plays in not just patient engagement, but the overall patient experience and even health outcomes. So this is interesting, right? So they have virtual health in here as an example, and uh, they created a campaign aimed at getting people, you know, back in for their kind of their routine, you know, mammogram screenings. Um, they started with those that they felt were being identified as being at higher risk for breast cancer, and that led to 11,000 new appointments, which resulted in almost 1,400 people being diagnosed that may not have otherwise you know, scheduled a screening, right? Or at least they hadn't at that point scheduled a screening. So again, we're going from an advertising department to people that are actually impacting people's health and their mm. life, Wow. You know, as competition heats up, it says in here, more will will realize that breaking down traditional department silos and bringing together diverse skills and experiences is a critical piece of the puzzle, right? So, again, what we talked about a little while ago, how do we work with quality? How do we work with IT? How do we work with those that are operating uh, the hospitals and the facilities? It's going to be really important. Yeah, again, this
0: sounds like when you talk about it in a big strategy way, It seems a little daunting, but then again, you know, maybe focus in on some of the discrete, smaller opportunities. Where are we seeing the most pain points? The fourth prediction out of five is that payers will accelerate consumer-focused strategies. A lot of what we're talking about here is the overall patient experience, and we know that payers a lot of times have been accelerating their movement towards consumer-centric strategies and tactics Frank Jackson who works at Actium Health says for payers 2022 will be about playing catch up to consumers and their ever changing expectations and preferences. As we talked about, right? COVID-19 changed a lot of their priorities and they're rethinking all aspects of life, where they work, how and where they get their care. And, you know, honestly, payers should be preparing for consumers, changing expectations around buying and consuming their health insurance. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about payers in this space, right? Mm-hmm. But that relationship between the payer and the provider health systems is a very strong, strong relationship. If you can leverage that, your health system may have, like Suzanne Henry's does, a health plan as part of your, your network. Right. Uh, you know, that's great. It's a, a dual entrance into the marketplace. But in this particular case, you could even take advantage of those partnerships that you have with payers in your market to... Get some insights into what consumers want.
1: Yeah, and this even kind of dovetails in nicely with some things that we talked about. I don't know a month or so ago around you know consumers going to uh, payer websites to look for a provider. So, like, how do you make sure that that information is correct there? So, anyway, it's interesting as you start seeing some of these things you know uh, come together and and start to become. You know, really interesting. I don't even know if they're really predictions. I know they're labeled predictions, but I mean, this is just, it just is like this. I don't know that it's a prediction anymore. Right. <laughs> but you know, the rise of productive communications, the improved connection between health systems and patients, the evolving role of, of the CMO and really just marketing in general. Uh, and then, and then how the payers kind of play into this are, are all great, but Chris, I know you you had a chance to uh, sit down with Chris Hemphill here recently, which is Actium Health's VP of a... Applied AI and growth and talk about responsible AI, more equitable use of AI
0: and data, which is kind of the linchpin of all of this. The data it tells the story, right? If you can. We we sat down, we had a really good conversation. Um, and we're excited to share that interview with you right after this break. And then after we listen to that, we'll be back, Reed and I, to close out the show. welcome back to the ask the expert segment of the podcast and today i'm delighted to be talking with chris hemphill from actium and chris just as for awareness perspective this is the very first ask the expert segment
2: of 2022 i hope you feel honored absolutely chris like uh Happy to be welcome back to the show. and uh, yeah, excited to dig into to to the topics that you brought up today. Before we jump into that conversation, would you be able to uh, share a little bit about your background and also a little bit about Actium? My background uh, comes from a mixture of sales and marketing and data science. Uh, An unusual uh, combination, but coming out of college, I went into the sales world and then went into the sales world for a health healthcare analytics company, but gradually got more interested in the actual predictions and data science and how we use algorithms to further our understanding about the human condition and take actions that help people better their care. Where that fits in at Actium Health, Actium Health is focused on driving the actions that people need uh, to engage their own care and, and improve their healthcare status. Mm-hmm. So that's using the data points from Electronic medical records, from marketing automation, from uh, how people interact, from population health data sets—all sorts of different data sets—to identify what are the uh, the next best steps that people should be taking to better engage and improve their healthcare conditions. Another thing that I I like to focus on is that uh, we've actually started a podcast called Hello Healthcare. That podcast, similar and I would say inspired by you, Chris, is for people that are interested in driving change in some way within their healthcare systems. Every once in a while, you'll get the uh, 20-person healthcare startup that says they're going to transform healthcare, a $3 trillion system. Probably not. You're probably (laughs) not going to do that with your uh, 20 folks in a basement, but- but if you can, if you, if you can drive an organization to change by 0.01% or drive a, a, a group of people to have their own incremental change, I think that's valuable too. So you might not, be, I personally might not be able to transform healthcare uh, entirely, but I, I, I do think that it's just to be celebrated if we can get that 0.01% somewhere and, uh, like celebrate that along with the other hundreds of thousands of people that are, are trying to do the same thing. Absolutely. And it's a really great podcast. And for those
0: listening in, we will definitely link to it in the show notes so you can actually access that I strongly recommend subscribing. You know, Chris, one of the reasons why we're talking today is in part of the research we were doing around the show uh, Read and I came across an article that was actually published by your organization, Actium, called Five Healthcare Patient Experience Predictions for 2022. The one that kind of jumped out at me and led me to reach out to you is the uh, one of the predictions was around using data and AI in a better way in a more equitable way. So let's talk about that um, because I think that that's very important to our industry. When we think about AI and data, I know that you have your pulse on this. This is what you do. Give us a a sense of where we're at as an industry today. how how is that being used in health systems? And also let's address a little bit about how marketing is currently using AI and data to help uh, support their initiatives.
2: Sure thing. And, and I'll, I'll probably focus more in on, uh, the marketing component, the work that, that I focus on is much more focused on uh, outreach than it is on like the things that you might be hearing about how imaging data sets are being used to predict things like uh, like presence of breast cancer tissue and things like that there's a lot of research there's a lot of activity going on on all sides of the house but when it comes to, to uh, like to, to the to the data and AI perspective I would say that before 2010 before the data were available Oh, well, we have basically your broad out, uh, your your broad shotgun uh, marketing type approaches. Then, uh, in your uh, 2010s era, as the high tech act uh, and meaningful use drove EMR adoption, you start to open up these use cases to where now I don't have to try to take the 400. 400- and some odd services that, uh, that I advertise and just get lucky with billboards and things like that. Now I can be extremely focused. I can slice and dice ar- audiences and target people based on things like age and various demographics and prior conditions, things that we can pick from the EMR or uh, uh, pick from their uh, demographic data. That's something to celebrate, right? Where we're able to go into, uh, get into uh, segmented models. But then when you, t- it, like let's take an example of uh, like the common cri- criteria to run a cardiology campaign. Uh, Typically, women who are 55 and above, men who are 45 and above, and potentially a a visit code or an encounter code that's associated with a prior incident uh, related to cardiology. With that, okay, it's it's great that we can start slicing down audiences, but you can see that you're building bias into the system already. Mm Mm-hmm. And how is that? Well, it's assuming that if you're below 45, there's absolutely no need. Like if you're not going to be sending communications, then it's assuming there's absolutely no need for cardiology communications to that segment of the audience then there's a a gender bias that's built in as well. Uh, If you're a woman who is below 55, then same concept. Then then it's assuming that there's no need. So what AI is doing and where we're really focused on maximizing use of data is to look at further nuances than just age and just gender and and things like that. And the the comparison that I like to make, like I I don't like to get extremely complicated in discussing AI. The simple concept is, Chris, you throw a spreadsheet at me that has uh, more than 3 columns more than 3 characteristics defining a patient like you have numbers down more than 3 columns I'm not going to know what to do with that that's, that's that's too much information to get to get the nuance needed that that's why uh, like with, within an EMR, you have thousands of characteristics uh, that are that are being uh, tracked on patients. And then you start adding even more and more to that as you, you're tracking like through your marketing automation systems and other pathways that they're interacting. But what the beauty of what's going on now is you're able to get into more and more nuance. What it's doing is saying, okay, we're not just just going to look at age and gender. We'll look at factors like systolic blood pressure. We'll pass visit codes, uh, various biomarkers, uh, thousands of characteristics to make better predictions and in, incorporate that nuance that, that removes those kinds of age and gender biases that are kind of hurting uh, marketing and outreach performance. I think when often when we start talking about
0: bias in, in data or bias in healthcare, we think about some very specific things around, you know, there was, they've been studies published and reports around, you know, bias against particular, maybe like you described, like gender or age or ethnicities and those sorts of things. But bias can happen in multiple different ways that are not necessarily specific ti- specifically tied to like a, a socioeconomic criteria. Is that
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. In my description, I, I wanted to kind of Frame up the picture of AI in general using those data points, but the thing about those uh, the thing about those data points is if we're looking at uh, information based on you know the, these people had these visits, uh, then you get oh, these these millions of people these five million people had uh, these visits uh, across the past five years, and here were their biomarkers and things like that. The assumption there's a built-in assumption there. The, for somebody to visit a healthcare system for that data to be analyzed, they have to have been able to afford that surface, uh, service. They have to be culturally predisposed, like they're uh, like uh, among different ethnicities, ethnicities, even though some people might be just as sick as somebody in another ethnic group, just because of cultural reasons, they might be less likely to go out and uh, seek Hospital or uh, external care. So there's all kinds of uh, all all kinds of different things that uh, are based on affordability, based on the overall economics and uh, access to care that uh, people aren't that people are forgetting in in a lot of cases, forgetting to consider. Like when we when we're venturing into this responsible AI concept, it's basically saying that if the data are based on people that could afford care, people of a certain wealth class and cer- a certain socioeconomic status, then there's more work to be done to make sure that these models are reflecting and fair to people in, in various income groups, ethnic groups, racial groups, etc. But basically, it, it's, it's, it's saying that great that we've been able to segment, great that we've been able to get more targeted, but there's still more to be done to make sure that we're uh, providing our outreach equitably.
0: The boldness of your statement in this article that we're going to link to in the show notes indicates that you said responsible AI will be a greater focus in 2022 and that healthcare leaders will seek more responsible and equitable approaches. What are some of the ways that you see healthcare leaders across the industry right now looking to maybe cross that gap between using AI and data to becoming more responsible around that
2: use? Every time a new technology comes out, there's kind of like an additional uh, hype around it. But then people start asking the deeper questions. In the mid-2010s, there was a lot of excitement around just the concept of AI in general and the concept of being able to to use these algorithms to make predictions. But uh, back in 2019, I think that this was a big turning point. This was a study that uh, Dr. Ziad Obermeier put out uh, with regards to an algorithm That was performing extremely well for white patients, but significantly underserving black patients in the population that they were studying. That algorithm got a lot, uh, got, uh, got a lot of press, a lot of attention, and uh, there, I mean, obviously, responsible AI has, has has been a focus for for a much longer time than that. But I think that that was kind of the wake up call that a lot of uh, folks in healthcare needed to to start getting interested in how uh, healthcare algorithms might be uh, disparaging Black, Latinx, Asian patients, wh- even white patients in some in some cases, with that kind of publication coming out and increased conversations around responsible ai hopefully even this conversation th- there's just so much more awareness around the problem right now than there was uh, a couple of years ago and when you, w- like, like when we really think about it there's kind of an obligation that's created there once you know that uh, there are uh, like that bias does exist Within the economic context, within the business process context, within bias exists among people who are admitting people uh, into care or listening to people and determining, does, is this person truly sick? Should we put them on meds and, and, and bid them adieu or, or, or are there deeper underlying issues here? There's bias all throughout it, not just in AI, but it gets, it gets reflected in the data uh, based on the actions of people. With the increased awareness around this, I I think that a lot that that, that people are going to be much less willing to accept uh, algorithms that perform poorly for uh, underserved populations.
0: You know, as I think about what you say, Chris, I also think about that some of the strategies that we even adopt from in the marketing suite are inherently biased. And I know you and I have talked about this before. Like just the mere fact of, of developing a, a digital advertising outreach program, for example, that has some inherent bias in it because it assumes that the recipients are the receivers of this. And while everyone uses digital, so to speak, not everyone responds to digital marketing tactics and campaigns the same way. Are you seeing that as well?
2: Definitely, digital has its place, and it's been able to it, it's been able to reach people that otherwise wouldn't have been reached. But if we say that we're we're going 100 digital and we're going to uh, completely ignore phones from now on, then we're going to still like we might be finding some new segment of people, but failing to reach out to other people who wouldn't receive digital communications. I, I, I think that with, with with any marketing effort, should be focused on finding what the most appropriate outreach channel is for that individual. The past era was based on like broad sweeping segmentations. But now with the with the prevalence of AI, you can start looking more specifically rather than uh, like how people fit into this particular age group or this is, is this millennial or gener- generation X, how do they respond. It's more on, hey, what does their past behavior indicate? What do their preferences stated indicate that can be extremely helpful in in reaching out to people? Uh, I would say that an, another bias uh, that is, is kind of inherent is if you're launching a campaign, most uh, like most of the time, like I, 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 I hear this constantly though, it is okay. Well, let's make sure that we're reaching out uh, only to commercially insured, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, patients. So yeah. I definitely understand why the uh, l- l- like uh, why that that that's a priority for a lot of campaigns. But uh, one one important focus is understanding. What are the characteristics of our Medicaid and Medicare populations and the, the people that that might not be able to afford the most expensive services? And what kinds, of, like if, if we if we can start looking at the data in those those pools of pools of patients as well, then we can start looking at what kinds of care or access or or channels can we open up that are uh, economical uh, for them too?
0: Right, absolutely, I, economically, and this is really centered around that individual patient now and ensuring that their experience is more apt to what their needs are. And I think that ultimately is the goal of what we're trying to do around personalizing our marketing efforts. We're going down this path where we're going to need data and AI to kind of help us deduce exactly what is that right message to them or what is the right Action for them. You know, it's almost like the concept of digital health equity, which or, or inequity, so to speak, right? There's a lot of inequity in digital health solutions. I also think there's a lot of inequity in digital marketing solutions, quite frankly. Uh, I want, almost want to bring up that term of digital marketing inequity. I'm testing that out with you. How do you feel about that term?
2: Um, I think I'll have to start using that immediately. (laughs) It makes sense. It's, again, if I say health equity, well, what kind of health equity? What, like, what do you, what exactly do you mean when you say that? And I think that the the more specific we can be, I I try to bring up specific examples, cardiology campaigns and models and things like that. Uh, I try to bring that stuff up because if we keep it at that 20,000 foot level, then there's nothing to connect to there. But when we say digital marketing inequity, that kind of inspires a focus on, oh, well, digital marketing is extremely convenient to uh, measure and things like that. But we still would miss our populations by not sending out a mailer or not not calling. So I agree with your use of that term because it allows people to focus in on the area of inequity that is uh, a problem. Right. And and
0: actually using digital tools to reach people that maybe are not necessarily highly profitable for the organization, but very highly dependent on the care services that we provide, honestly. You know, that leads to marketing more focused on the overall experience, which I think is the the spectrum that we're we're walking down, right, with our with these digital tools that we're using.
2: When we start getting understanding on what level of profitability like an, an individual person might have, like Okay so they might not be as profitable as the uh, commercially insured uh, patients but w- when you start looking at uh, and I know a lot of organizations don't have access to uh, financial data and things like that and, and even when they when they do it's still hotly debated on uh, do we use charges and what does that actually mean and and those kinds of things but uh, it's important to start uh, to start looking at the data around given the swath of this population Given that we have so many in our community that, that need care in this, this kind of way, what, what are some economics, like, like how do we look at the economics of the, the solution that we can provide to them? Rather than keeping, the, like keeping those populations out of the outreach, it becomes a matter of, okay, just given that these people might have a, a, a customer lifetime value or residual lifetime value of X amount. Over the next twelve months, there are a- avenues that we can can make available uh, to uh, like, like provide services, where we can l- look at uh, like annual wellness visits, for example. Uh, there's direct monetary incentives for, uh, for for bringing people in. The information that's, that's found during that physical exam or uh, during that examination then feeds into other services that those patients might need. So it, it's always a matter of um, identifying like. Again, we we always want to do the right thing, but we also we also have to be able to justify it. And I think that when we look at things like lifetime value and churn risk and, the, and, the, and those kinds of things, we can we can start um, figuring out equitable paths for everybody. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I always think about
0: ROI as one thing is to the, the direct contribution that you make from your effort, but also another way to look at ROI is uh, money saved. Right? Or, um, you know, the overall expense over the lifetime of the, of the patient and some of these populations that could be better served by some of the efforts that we're doing. We could avert a lot of overhead costs, long term care costs for those communities. Let me pivot a little bit here, Chris. I want to talk a little bit about healthcare technology vendors as well, because we're awash in the digital marketing suite with. Everybody now has become a data broker. Website CMS companies have personalization and data data elements. CRM companies and and others are kind of brokering in data. Digital marketing uh, agencies that are out there, media buyers, etc. We're all awash in data. So, how do you see responsible AI kind of impacting that the h
2: the health tech space? You brought up a, a bunch of different examples of, uh, like, there's website vendors, there's uh, people that, that, there's population health, there's there's all all these pockets of uh, people that, that want to interact with patients. With Responsible AI, uh, what's happening right now, the phase that we're in right now, there, there, there's, there's talks on regulations and things like that, which I think will be uh, necessary in the coming years, but I, I don't see that, like, having some Something solidly defined for 2022. Right now, what healthcare leaders uh, can can focus on is holding these vendors, holding uh, like like holding these data brokers accountable for the types of uh, systems that they offer. So, for example, if you are uh, evaluating something that uh, looks at uh, looks at patient populations, determines these people need cardiology outreach, or these people need uh, uh, this or that type of outreach, then that's a perfect example of uh, of saying, hey, let's hit the pause button. Let's figure out, though, of, of these people that are identified, does that reflect the racial breakdown or the gender breakdown of our surrounding population? What kinds of biases exist in that data? How well does this algorithm perform? How accurate is this algorithm overall, cool, you can always like celebrate that overall metric. But then when you start breaking something down, like, let's say that uh, and I'll I'll use this as a uh, generic term, this isn't reflecting any kind of numbers of any actual system. But let's say that uh, a vendor tells you that this is, this is 99.99% accurate. Uh, Okay, fantastic. But then let's break that down. How accurate is it on Black population, white population, Asian population, etc. Uh, when you start disambi- disambiguating and breaking down performance, holding vendors accountable to have broken down that performance and taken responsible approaches, uh, then you really, uh, you, like, you're you're really pushing the needle forward in how we can start approaching this thing. There's the vendor side; vendors have to uh, start identifying this, kind of seeing to the future, and uh, seeing. What what what's possible and and w- uh, where they can help and where they can drive health equity, but that really depends on having people internally that just want to do the right thing. On the other side, healthcare like in healthcare systems, great example, UCSF. Uh, they they actually did a presentation recently with Duke Margolis Center for Policy, and they evaluated Epic's uh, sepsis prediction algorithm. And I'm not exactly sure what uh, variables that, that that they had identified that they, they they identified as problematic that the algorithm was using. They said, "Hold on, based on the way that this algorithm works, based on the way it performs, based on how how it performs with uh, uh, with, with underserved patients." We don't want to use this algorithm. We're we're going to develop something else internally, but we're not going like we're we're not going to use this. We're not going to purchase this particular service because it doesn't perform up to our standards. I want vendors. I want digital health uh, people in digital health and health tech to focus on this. But when it comes to the fact that like in in the situation that when negotiating, the vendor doesn't really have the power in that relationship. The hospital does. It does fall on the healthcare leaders to understand, like take that UCSF example and start, uh, start asking for these breakdowns, start holding vendors accountable to be transparent and make sure that, that like, like that's, that's the healthcare leader's part in making sure that they're not deploying irresponsible AI.
0: Many people listening in are starting to think about like, well, what are ways that we could internally start to go down this path? And it seems like a, much in the spirit of your podcast, Chris, right? It's, it seems like it's, transformation is, is so huge and, and so hard to do. This problem seems big and, and very difficult to kind of manage as well. Do you have anything practically that maybe they could start to do today that will allow them to move towards this uh, utilization of or at least uh, have an awareness of using AI and, and data in a responsible way?
2: I'll say this: uh, I've looked at lots and lots of uh, requests for proposals for data-driven systems, CRM, CRM intelligence, things like that. And in those, it, like the, those, those RFPS will have requests for things like uh, certain feature sets, like the, uh, build the audience builder this way, etc. But I've not seen, I've not seen a single RFP. And this is the, this observer bias. There, there could be uh, people out there <laughs> uh, uh, incorporating the, incorporating this into the request. But nobody I've seen has given, the, has said, hey, break this down in the way that I just said. They'll say, hey, uh, how accurate are, are your overall systems? But we need to get further into not just the overall accuracy, but start breaking that down. Get specific, get nuanced. How does this perform for... Black versus white versus et cetera patients, uh, male, female. Start holding vendors accountable by looking for the like looking for those breakdowns, asking uh, asking about in RFPs. I mean, there's a whole lot I think that, that healthcare leaders can do without having to go and get a master's in data science. There's a whole <laughs> lot that you can do to. Ask the right questions to, to to know how to hold a vendor accountable. Absolutely. And another thing they
0: can do is reach out to you. Would you mind sharing a little bit with people about if they want to you know, carry on this conversation or at least uh, read more about some of the
2: great stuff that you do? What's a great way for them to reach you online? The easiest and least confusing way is to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm sure most people are here on LinkedIn, so you can look up Chris Hempill there. Or if you want more snark and sarcasm, that's my Twitter presence, and that is Luke underscore trailrunner. I think LinkedIn would probably be the easiest. Absolutely. And then, of course, subscribe
0: to your podcast and get start to listen to some of the things that you're saying. Cause it's, you're, you're laying down some very heavy wisdom in that show. So I really appreciate your, your voice in the, in the overall,
2: you know what? Yeah, and, and yeah, the, so the, uh, the hello Health healthcare podcast and uh, to get specific on this topic, actually, if you go on YouTube, and uh, search End Racism in Healthcare Outreach. You'll actually find a, a really good presentation that we put together with uh, University of Chicago Booth School of Business Center for Applied AI. And yeah, I did practice saying that because it's a
0: <laughs> Well, I definitely have to track that down and link to it as well in the show notes. Chris, thank you so much for this great conversation. Always Thought-provoking, always insightful, and always just so relevant to today's conversation. Thank you so much for joining.
2: Well, thank you for providing a platform and being willing to discuss things like this. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. I, I think that we all
0: have a, have our own part to play in, in solving this, this overall issue that's facing our industries.
1: All right. Special thanks to Chris, not you, but the other <laughs> Chris, Chris Hemphill, for coming. I mean, thanks for coming on the show as well. This would be hard to hard to do if you weren't on here. But really appreciate Chris Hemphill for coming on and spending a few minutes. It was it was neat to be able to kind of tie that into the article and kind of where we are uh, as we kick off twenty twenty two. Again, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health, sign up for the TPS report. We'll start putting the links in there for the upcoming conferences. We're, we're mm-hmm. I mean, we're almost there. I know we're just kicking off the year, but it's going to be time to start thinking about conferences and uh, where you may want to be and where you may want to go. And more to come on that, Chris and I, I'm sure, fingers crossed, we'll make it to some this year. Uh, we'll see kind of how the uh, the world Experience, <laughs> I guess between now and then, but hopefully that all pans out and we look forward to seeing some folks in person before we say goodbye, maybe a couple recommendations for this week. Reed, I'm going to recommend
0: something that I got under the Christmas tree this year because it combines two of my interests together. So you know that I like music. And in fact, I really like jazz music and I also like graphic novels, which is the adult way of saying comic books. I found under the tree this year, A great graphic novel about Charlie Parker, who is a famous bebop jazz musician, and it's called Chasing the Bird, a Charlie Parker graphic novel. Charlie Parker, he was one of the most influential jazz saxophonists, and he influenced, you know, everyone from John Coltrane to Miles Davis to others, you know, in terms of the the advancement of jazz music. Mm. Clearly, with a person of this stature and nature, he also, by the way, had a very serious problem with drugs. He got hooked on heroin, and so his life was kind of very chaotic as well, as you can imagine. This graphic novel takes together accounts of when he went to California for a Series of months. He even went missing for six of those months. And through third-party stories, they narrate what happened to him. So much so that the authors and artists of the books, they even have appendices in the back of the comic book that says, you know, go back and read this section and listen to this song by Charlie Parker and match every four measures It's a panel of this comic, so you can actually listen to the music and read the comic book at the same time. It's an immersive, multi-channel experience. It took me just a few days to finish it. Really, really great book, and I recommend it to anyone who might be interested. Chasing the Bird, a Charlie Parker graphic
1: novel. Nice. Chris, I'm going to recommend something kind of analog like you are. Uh, I'm going to recommend, and it's also fairly generic, a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. probably did, I don't know, six of these over the break, (laughs) maybe. I I don't know. A lot. Uh, Now, some of this is because I have an addictive personality and, you know, it's like I can't I can't not finish it, and not do it. But anyway, it seems like these kind of come out around holidays. You know, you get one out, you got it on the table. We did some at the beginning of the pandemic thinking like, oh, this is neat. You know, we're home for a short time. You know, <laughs> here we are 20 months later. Did a number of them and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was neat to not look at a screen and be able to sit there and uh, just kind of have it out. You know, you could sit down for 10 minutes and kind of work on a piece and the kids got involved and, I may have to figure out an additional table to put in the house somewhere up in the playroom or something like that where we can keep a puzzle out. So, uh, really enjoy that. And, uh, they're not terribly expensive and it's really interesting. It's one of those things that you can take it back apart, put it up, and a year from now, you could get it back out and you could do it again because it's not like <laughs> it's not like you're spoiling it, right? right? I mean, right. You, know, like you already know what it's going to look like. It's just it's a puzzle, you know. So, yeah. So, I'm um, recommending uh, picking up a jigsaw puzzle if you've got a little bit of time here in the new year. It's a fun way, especially those of us that work in this industry, to use a little different part of your brain. Maybe you're not have to stare at a screen, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. There you go. Yeah,
0: that's a great recommendation. I love jigsaw puzzles. Are you a fan of the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle or the 500
1: or? Do go with a thousand piece? Um, that seems to be a decent size that, uh, you know, you could finish it relatively, you know, in a, in a reasonable amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, we got one that if you can imagine what like Baskin Robbins or something, you're looking at all the ice creams, you know, in the case, you know, there's just a bunch of flavors in a row. But instead of it actually being ice cream, it was Lego pieces. Oh, wow. And so, you know, it was just a bunch of similar colored Lego pieces, which was actually a pretty easy one to do because it's like a lot of little mini puzzles in one, you know, kind of thing. And so that one went pretty quick. Some of them were a little bit longer. It took a little bit more time, you know, that are more the traditional kind of a scene of some sort, you know, with cars and a restaurant in the background, you know, and that kind of thing. So I think all the ones we did were thousand thousand piece awesome well that's a lot of fun absolutely is well thanks again everybody we really appreciate y'all tuning in here in the new year we'd love to hear from you heard from several of you over the break and uh, certainly appreciate that but if you've got thoughts ideas for the show topics we should cover people we should talk to uh, reach out to us LinkedIn Twitter is usually the best way to track Chris. Uh, or i down and uh plus we just love to hear from you like you know like hearing what you uh have uh, gained from listening to the show and things like that but check out the website touchpoint.health uh, follow us online rate review subscribe wherever you have the listener stream chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week this has been a touchpoint media production to learn more about this show and others like it please visit us online at touchpoint.health